My name is Reagan Gilliland, pastor of adult discipleship here at Christ United, and I'm so glad to be back uh, up here preaching. I just finished a couple weeks being back in the office, and this is my first time preaching. I did not sleep through the night, um, but I still did great the first two, so I figured it should go well this time. And I know you all are eager because it's been a long time since you heard a good sermon, right? I'm just kidding. Stephanie preached a couple weeks ago, guys. You've heard a good one. (laughs) Please don't call the bishop. Okay. Um, So I know Chris mentioned there'd be baby pictures, but, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like you don't come to church to see baby pictures, right? Like, you want to come hear the gospel. No interest in adorable baby pictures, right? Like, you're like, I want to learn, I want to grow. Don't waste my time with really cute baby pictures. But if you insist, I've got a few photos. There's Morgan, one of his newborn. Um, The second one is when my older children met Morgan. And you can see that Jude, my now middle son, is just thrilled to be dethroned as the baby. And this last one is from Morgan just a week or so ago. Y'all, thank you. So three kids is a lot, just gonna say that, but it's going, uh, going really well. So today's theme is uh, Be the Change. And I thought, um, what, a great, what a great theme. We're celebrating the youth choir. Uh, it got me thinking about younger generations. But then I thought, you know, this is really is a challenge to all of us, how we are all called to be the change in the world. So we'll be looking at a text from the book of, Cal- of Galatians and also a couple dinosaur stories because that's the phase I'm in right now. A lot of dinosaurs. So uh, to begin, a little background on the church is that um, the church in Galatia was really struggling kind of with its identity. What was, uh, what it looked like to be really faithful, what kinds of things they needed to practice. Um, Because Paul had come through and he established things, but then the second wave of some other missionaries came through that were a little bit more law-based. They approached their uh, devotion to Christ with still a lot of Jewish practices. So what it left was people kind of confused, um, you know, what does it look like to live this out? So it's this intra-Christian dispute. And we don't know what that's like in today's terms, right? Because across the board, Christians believe uh, the same thing on every topic, right? Like there's no confusion where we fall on things. We all look the same. We all believe the same things. We all practice the same way. There's definitely no confusion even within this church or our denomination or Sunday school classes or anything. So, you know, this is really just a history lesson. No application to today. I'm sure we all have this figured out, right? Uh, But before we do read the text, I do want to say, you know, this conflict Um, They're just really arguing what is faithful. They're not really harming each other. Um, And as I, every time we talk about conflict, I want to be sure that um, that doesn't apply to every situation. I'm not going to talk about healthy boundaries and different things. And I think you'll kind of understand why I say this as we get into the text. Um, Today, we're just looking, okay, what does it look like to be, to be faithful? So we'll be looking at Galatians 6 verses 1 through 10. 
My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one, such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens in the way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride, for all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So what I know from the church in Galatia, they've got different people practicing slightly different things. And I wonder, how do they even determine who is a transgressor? Like if they aren't going to agree on who, if we need to follow the law, if they're breaking things, like what is faithful? So how do they even do that? Because they're clinging to kind of slightly different ways of living out their faith. That certainly has to be confusing and probably infuriating to the different sides because there's probably finger pointing or accusation and blame and arguing. Most likely a lot of wasted time as they nitpick who's breaking what. Last week, Chris talked about how there's 40,000 Christian denominations. So clearly we haven't come very far. We don't agree on a lot of things. We all kind of have different ways. And so I wonder if the United Methodist Church has different ways of believing. Maybe you feel that in your Sunday school classes. And even here on our staff, we have different theology. Is that a big problem? Well, we can certainly let it be. While Paul had a lot of beef with others influencing the work he did, the bigger issue was how we handled this conflict, how we actually treated one another. So he calls for gentleness. If you were to flip, flip back a chapter, he lists the fruit of the Spirit. And so he's trying to say, look, like we are supposed to look different. We are living in the Spirit, but we're looking like everyone else. And so I think how we handle conflict, how we treat others that think different than us shows a lot about who we are and how the Spirit is working in our own lives. So if we know that we worship different from one another, if we know we have different beliefs on certain topics, and we have different ways of being faithful, what do we do? And I thought, does gentleness mean Christians always have to be nice? Or what does nice even mean anymore? Is it about the words we use or is being nice pretending like there's no conflict? If you're familiar with Paul's letters, you know that he's well-versed in addressing conflict. Pretty much every letter he writes addresses conflict at some level. And he uses some pretty strong words. But I think gentleness may be more about the way we actually view each other. You're not my enemy we're connected. And at some level, faith tells me I need you and you need me. Others aren't people to conquer. So we approach one another with the gentleness, even if we have strong points or thoughts and those conflict with one another. Coming at one another with a lack of gentleness is not how we win. You know, one of my favorite podcasts is Pantsuit Politics. 
Two women coming from different political perspectives. And you know what? They approach each other with gentleness. They view one another with gentleness. And because they do, they actually hear one another. Sometimes they change their view, sometimes not. But what is fascinating is that usually they realize they actually agree on the same thing. They just have different ways about going about it. That's often revealed when you actually sit down and talk with someone with gentleness. Now, if a podcast is not your thing or politics, you're like, I don't even want to go there. I'm going to suggest another great resource of how do dinosaurs stay friends? It's a great book, quick read, to tell you how to uh, deal with conflict, how we stay friends with someone when something maybe bad happens between you. So great for two and a half year olds and their 37 year old mother. So, so I think to be the change, we start with a posture of gentleness. Okay, as we continue to read, we know that Paul gets into talking about burdens. And so I think Paul is saying, look, like we both believe the same thing, that the main thing is right there. We just are different. But we've got something that connects us, something that unites us. We're living it in the spirit. And if you have a love for the neighbor, which we're supposed to, then you have a care for another person. That should rise up in us. And so Paul's like, okay, look, we have different beliefs. We have different ways. We have different ways of practicing de- devotion. We're a big tent. And so that means that we celebrate and we also feel the bur- whatever others are going through. Even if that burden does not impact us personally, we have no direct connection to it, or we don't experience it. The burden, the heaviness that someone in our family is going through is something we should feel deeply. When something hurts for someone, when they experience grief or confusion or stress or worry or fear, we feel that too. Even if we don't fully understand it, maybe if we don't fully agree with something they're going through, we should do our best to extend grace and love and be gentle with one another. Most of you know that I grew up in Kansas. Thank the Lord. (laughs) And I didn't grow up in a teeny tiny town by any means, but there was a sense that I did feel kind of isolated. There's not a lot of diversity, at least at that time where I grew up. And I sense that. I'm like, well, everyone kind of looks like me and everyone kind of has the same life experience as me, at least what I thought on the surface. And because of that, I just didn't know what other people went through. Maybe most likely because I didn't have the internet like we have now. We all remember we got it in the mail on a disc, the cool sound, we couldn't use the phone, and our screen names were things like musicals, so really cool. But because of that, I didn't know what happened in the world. I didn't realize that people had completely different experiences than I did. Now, I'll admit the internet is often a curse, but it's also a gift. And I appreciate the way it brings attention to things in in the world that I would never know about based on my location or who I am. I certainly want my children as they grow to know about the world that exists outside their own personal experiences. And I'm thankful for the way that young people today, example, (laughs) seem to have been awakened and care so much more than I ever did at their age. They're aware of others' pain and suffering So to be changed, I think we lean into listening. We can't be about ourselves. We can't worry or care only about our family, our little community, those in our church, those in 
this state or country, those that look like us, those that think, believe, or vote like us. Because we have to love our neighbor. We're called to that. So I'm thankful for younger generations that have this deep passion and care for one another, that they speak out or up for those on the margins, that they want inclusion, that they invite one another into conversations. I see them taking on the burdens that are on others and making things their fight, even when it doesn't necessarily impact them personally. I love their sense of, you're not alone in this. I've got you. So it's inspiring to me, and I hope, I pray, I can teach that to my three children. Now, one thing that I love about Paul is that while he's good at pointing out things, he really has a call to look at your own shortcomings. He talks about, um, in the beginning, you know, don't be tempted, don't, don't be like them, but it's really not, it's not really don't be like them, it's you may have something you need to work on too. That self-examination is really important. So often we think, well, we're better than others. We have it figured out. Look at them, how they're failing. Maybe you've heard a story like that, something with a log and a speck. So I think it's really tempting, even in today's times, to say, but we're the real Christians. We're the ones that have figured it out. We check all the boxes. But who made a list? I think often we try to play God when it comes to that. So I love that Paul says, look, this air of like, being better than others is not living in the spirit. You're forgetting that the focus is Christ, not you and how good you are. If you have trouble self-examining yourself, another great book is We Don't Eat Our Classmates. It's about Penelope who has trouble making friends because she keeps eating her classmates. Another great book, quick read again, about how to maybe think about, huh, maybe I'm at fault here. And so to be the change, we open ourselves up to accountability. And maybe after that hard work, you might find, hey, I might have been in the wrong, or I didn't think about that. So this last section as we move is about the harvest, about sowing and reaping. And it, for me, it kind of packs a punch because I'm thinking about, I'm raising three children in this world that sometimes feel so overwhelmingly broken. And Paul's like, you know, if you, if you have hatred and you're, you're harsh and unforgiving, that's what you are going to reap. We'll miss out on making disciples because we're so consumed with fighting and arguing and pointing. The spirit of the church needed, needed then to be gentle and have grace and love, and we need that too. So I thought, we reap what we sow, so what are we sowing today? What can I sow this week that maybe I or maybe my kids one day for far from now will reap? Will they be happy with the harvest I'm preparing for them? I don't know, and these aren't questions to, to guilt or shame, but rather to invite us to consider how our actions today will shape our homes, our communities, and our world. To be the change we live preparing or harvest. And it can be so easy to say, well, the younger ones will figure it out. But we're all called to this work. We must prepare and work for the harvest we want to see. Now this last verse always kind of gets me and reminds me of this work. 
Verse 10 says, so then whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. I pray and hope we can all be the change, that we take a good look at what's going around us and say, change does need to happen, and that we are called to work together, that we realize we do want the same things most likely, and we don't have to be constrained by what was done before. We have freedom and new things can be done. We can be the change. And we do that when we're gentle and when we listen and when we open ourselves to looking at our own shortcomings. And most of all, most of all, that the change we're moving toward, that we are fighting for, is that it's work that is for the good of all people, not just some. And so church, let's be the change. Let's be the change together. Amen.